Well, good morning. Thank you, worship team. That was great. We appreciate all the effort they put in. Well, my, name's, my name is Brett Holloman. I'm one of the pastors here at the branch as well as over at Cyprus. And uh, I'm going to be speaking this morning uh, from Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 through 39. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to that. And if you don't have a Bible, Bob is going to pass one out. He already has it opened up to the appropriate page. You know, I got, I got a call this, this week. It was kind of interesting from uh, Justin's doctor, and he asked me to preach. And I thought, that's really kind of odd. But he explained to me he didn't think Justin's heart could stand the strain of preaching after the comeback win from the Seahawks last week. <laughs> So, you know, I, I said, absolutely, more than happy to help out any way I can. We certainly don't want to see what he looks like after the Super Bowl. So, you know, I'm really surprised he didn't make mention of it at all today. Usually he's all over it. He's dressed up in green and whatever color that other color is. And Yeah, he said, it was just kind of, I was thinking about him through that whole game, though. And it was a phenomenal comeback, so we were all excited for him. And I am now a true Blue Seahawks fan, so I'm all over it. <laughs> we're going to be talking a little bit this morning about generosity, um, generous, and that characteristic that, uh, that I struggle with. I'll be honest with you. Generosity is not my strong suit. Uh, I, I, I try and you know, I try to be aware of opportunities to be generous, to be gracious. Um, but it's just not something that's prevalent in our society today. You know, it's, our society is more about, hey, you know, and as one of my old pastors used to say, and I've said this before, but it, it's all about get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. That's pretty much what society is about today. It's all about self-promotion. It's all about self-absorption. And, and taking everything that you can get for yourself. So generosity has kind of been on the, on the backside, right? But we're going to talk a little bit about that today and what it means to be generous in the context of being a believer. Um, because the opportunities to be generous today are more prevalent than ever, right? I mean, I was coming off the freeway uh, after, uh, from my office on Wednesday. 405 freeway, I drive, I get off at Valley View, and I, I pull up to the signal, and there's a guy in a gray beard, and you know, he's obviously seen a better day, and he's got that fold-out cardboard sign that says, you know, opens up, help me, homeless vet. And, and you, you know, I'm probably the only one that does this, but I'm sitting there and I'm doing this. You know, okay, don't make eye contact, no eye contact, please don't, please don't. And he's right, he's right there. And I'm just, and finally a highway patrol officer pulls up and on his speaker goes, get off the off ramp. And the guy folds up his sign and walks off. And I'm thinking, whew, that was close, you know, <laughs> because we're, we're put in these positions and opportunities to be generous and to be gracious are, are prevalent today, but we don't quite know how to handle it. We don't know how to respond many times. And Jesus, in this particular section of Scripture, which we're going to read in just a moment, where he's gracious and he's generous to these 4,000 men, plus additional women and children, in order to meet their needs. But he's following up, really, what is an Old Testament saying in Deuteronomy 15.8. And Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 15.8 says this, Open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need whatever it may be. And, and granted, that's in the context, if you will, of the, of the Jewish nation. 
right? But it speaks to us today as well. And, and because as we look at the New Testament, the New Testament addresses that in 1 John 3.17. I'm going to read this because it also speaks to where we're at. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So as we start talking about, remember the whole theme of what we're discussing over the past few weeks is the dust of the rabbi. So as the dust of the rabbi settles on us, the rabbi, our rabbi being Jesus Christ, and we look at his generosity and his capacity to be gracious, it gets intimidating. It gets uncomfortable. And I got to tell you, it's not going to get any more comfortable as we go through this section of scripture. So let's, uh, let's pray before we get into it. And then we'll read it, and then we'll, we'll kind of unpack it, if you will. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we thank you this morning that the opportunities to be gracious uh, are all around us. But Lord, many times because of the busyness of our lives, because admittedly, in my case, the self-centeredness that I possess, I don't see it. And so, Lord, as you open the eyes of the disciples to the need around them, Lord, I pray that with this within this wonderful group of believers, Lord, that you would open our eyes through the touch of the Spirit uh, to opportunities to truly be generous. And Father, we pray that we walk out of here today, the dust settles upon our shoulders, and we learn what it means to be generous in a society that's so self-absorbed and so self-conscious. Father, help us now to glorify you in everything we say, everything we think, and everything that we do. For it's in your Son's mighty and precious name we ask these things. Amen. So we go on, and, and I also want you to, to be aware that a corresponding section of Scripture here is we're looking at Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 to 39. It's also relayed in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. So we're going to be going back and forth between those two different sections of Scripture. So get ready, and, and because it, it really kind of provides a slightly different view of the same situation. So the first thing I want to do as we read through this is I want you to be aware that Jesus will make us aware of the need. I'm going to read, and Vivian already did this, but I'm going to read it again as well. It says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered and said, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? And how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves, the fish, and after he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and afterward the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got on the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. So the first thing I want you to understand is Jesus makes the need known to his, to his disciples. Jesus shows compassion. He says, I have compassion on these people. Compassion, in my mind, is the baseline, is the gift if you will. And generosity is the action. So if we have compassion, if we have that characteristic of Christ, and he looks out at the 4,000 
plus people. And he says, I have compassion on these people. The next logical step is to take that compassion and put it into action through generosity. So generosity, it's it's very similar, if you will, to James in his letter, his epistle. James talks about faith and works. And he says, I have faith, but I manifest and I show my faith through works. Not that works saves me, but works is a manifestation of my underlying faith. So generosity, if you will, is kind of like a manifestation of an underlying compassion. And that's where I struggle with it, if you will, is because I have to make sure that I have the compassion that is going to propel my generosity. And generosity doesn't have to be financial. We tend to think that way. We think that, you know, based upon our society and the way things go, that in order for us to be generous, it has to have a financial component. And that's not necessarily the case. Generosity can show itself in the time that we devote in the utilization of our abilities and our gifts to help others. And certainly it can have a financial component as well. But Jesus is looking out at the crowd and he's saying, I have compassion. But they also have to have an awareness, right? You look at the, you look at the disciples. And the disciples are among 4,000 people. And they don't realize that even though these people have been with Jesus and them for three days, and perhaps they don't have something to eat. And if you look at Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, you know, Jesus says that, that, that they may grow faint because they have a lack of food. Well, the disciples are in the middle of this, and yet they don't recognize the need, which astounds me. Because one chapter earlier in Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, the disciples are the ones that say, hey, Jesus, why don't we send these people to the village, the nearby village, to where they can get something to eat? So in that sense, they understood the need. But in this sense, they seem to be blind to the apparent need of the people that are surrounding them, that are everywhere. And as I was reading this section of scripture, I thought, man, these guys need to increase their, their awareness and their sensitivity. And I became very much aware that I struggle with the same thing. You know, I wander through my day. I wander through my life. People are in need. As I just pointed out, this gentleman on the 405 off-ramp, and, and I'm, I'm insensitive to it. And the one way that I believe that we can help is to have a greater awareness is to invite the leading of the Holy Spirit. To invite the Holy Spirit to actually make us aware of the needs that exist around us in such an incredible amount. Um, I'll give you a good example. Again, I said generosity is not necessarily my strong suit. I need help from the, from the Spirit. And last Saturday, not yesterday, but a week ago Saturday, uh, again, I'm absorbed in my world. I'm driving down to the beach, and I'm getting ready to go surfing, and I'm listening to music. And out of nowhere, God makes a need known to me. My wife, Nancy, has an aunt and an uncle, and they're very much up in age. And, you know, a certain level of dementia is set in. She's had multiple strokes. Um, uh, It's a very, very tough situation. He doesn't know how to handle the fact that his wife is in the hospital almost on a continuous basis. He, He has no life. Uh, that he and no relationship with God, and he's struggling in a tremendous way. Quite honestly, uh, he's probably going to lose his job at the end of the month, at the end of this month. 
I've, I found out that he's going to lose his ability to drive because the DMV's, his doctor's been in touch with the DMV. He's going to pull his license. And on top of that, as I mentioned, his wife is at Downey Kaiser. Uh, and, he, and, he, and so as I'm driving down to the beach, listening to oldies and getting ready to surf, God tells me in no uncertain terms, you're going to go visit Hal. That's his name. And I thought to myself, no, 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 no. I don't get along with Hal. You know, Hal and I have known each other for years. We don't share anything, anything in common. Totally different values. And from, from the time, almost literally, that I moved from Catella down to where McDon- or, uh, Jack in the Box is right on the beach, God would not let it go. You're going to go visit him. No, I'm not. Yeah, you're going to go be a blessing to him. You're going to be, no, God, no, Lord, please, no. And later that afternoon, after I showered, I went over and I visited with Hal. Now, I don't know if it was a blessing to Hal. It seemed to be. Uh, His daughter was there as well. But that's the fact that I need an increase in awareness of the need for generosity around me. The generosity that I can apply. And in this case, it was a small thing. It was going to visit a gentleman who's going through a very difficult time. But it was, I guess my point is, if you're going to ask the Spirit to, to increase your awareness to need, be ready to act. Because the Spirit is not going to let you go. As I found out very, very quickly. So Jesus will make us aware of the need. As he made his disciples aware. He called his disciples to him and said, I had compassion. The second thing I want you to be aware of as we look at verse 33 is that we cannot meet the need on our own ability. Let's take a look at this. His disciples answered when asked, when when made aware of the need, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? You know, they did what we do. God makes a need known. An opportunity to be generous and gracious. And we look at our resources and say, I don't see it happening, Lord. Uh, you know, the disciples immediately, when they were made aware of the need, what did they do? They looked at their circumstances. They said, well, here's, here's where we're at, Lord. We're in a, what they call a remote, but other, portion, other versions of Scripture say a desolate place. There's nothing here for those people to eat, and there's no place, there's no drive-through. There's no drive-through. We are stuck in a desolate place. What do you have in mind? Because God wanted, or they became very much aware that their limited resources, right, the loaves and a few small fishes were not going to be sufficient to meet the needs of thousands of people. They were looking at it and going, wow, there is barely enough here to feed the immediate team, Say nothing to them. And that is so typical of people. When when God brings something to our mind and and an opportunity to serve, we tend to look at our resources and get discouraged. In Nehemiah chapter 4, for those of you that aren't aware of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was um, a leader, a Jewish leader. And he was in, in, uh, I believe it was Babylon, and he was instructed by God to go back to Jerusalem. He was part of the refugees that had been exiled. And he was given charge to go back to Jerusalem by God and rebuild the wall around the city. 
And he went back to Jerusalem. He rallied all the people that were living in absolute destitution. They, They had nothing. Their city was destroyed. They had nothing going for them. And he came along as a leader, and he was rallying them to rebuild the wall around their city. And he was charged by God to do that. And the people get all enthused that now they have a leader. Now they can rebuild the wall. And they begin doing it. And they raise the wall to about half its original height. And then something happens. The enemy comes to the, to the Israelites, understanding that once the wall is built, they're not going to be able to attack and, and intimidate the, the Jewish population like they used to. And they begin to, to tell the, the people that are building the wall, you can't do that. You don't have the capabilities. The wall that you're building is so weak that a fox, if a fox were to walk on it, it would fall down. And the people, rather than looking to God, begin to look at their circumstances. And they go to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4, and say, we can't do this. There's too much rubble. There's too much debris. Uh, We just don't have the capabilities. And it's the same thing as the disciples, as they look at the the seven loaves and the few small fishes, and they look and they go, we're in a desolate place here, Lord. There is no way that your compassion and our desire can play out here. We just don't see how we can do it. We don't have the capabilities. And so what we have to understand, because we're going to hit that same limitation. The limitation's with us, folks. It's not with God. But when God brings an opportunity to serve in a remarkable way, to be generous, one of the things that we're going to have to fight the inclination to do is to look at our resources and say, wow, we are in over our head. There's no way we can do it. Because God will ask you to do remarkable things. And so what we have to learn to do is we have to learn to rely on God's provision. We have to learn to rely on God's provision. And so he asks, how many loaves do you have in verse 34? And they say seven and a few small fish. One of the things that's really remarkable is that even after... Jesus takes those limited resources and feeds the the 4,000 plus people. They still don't get it. You see, God is not, or, or Jesus did not necessarily feed for effect. And it wasn't about the miracle. It was about teaching the disciples to rely upon God for the results. It's not about miracles. It's not about feeding. It's, teach, it's trying to teach the disciples and in turn us 2,000 years later to look to God for the provision and the results. They still didn't get it though because this is interesting. And I'll read this to you because if we go back to Mark chapter 8 right after they feed the 4,000 chapter 8 verses 14 through 21 This is what happens. Now, this is right after they feed the 4,000. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? 
Do you not have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered, seven. And he said, do you still not understand? You see, even though they had seen these multiple miracles of feeding many thousands of people with very limited resources, Jesus, as he does with us now, is trying to raise the perspective from what we have to what God can do. And when they don't get it, he looks at them and goes, man, don't you even understand to this point? It's not about what you have. It's about the provision of God enabling you to do what I ask you to do. It's about taking your eyes off your circumstances and putting them on the true provider, which is God. Don't you understand? In other words, he's probably, he's probably telling them exactly what he had said to them in other situations. Why do you have such little faith? If God assigns us through his compassion to do something, he will enable us to do it through his provision. Verse number 34, and we'll move on, is that Jesus takes the resources and multiplies the effectiveness, very similar to the point that we just had. How many loaves do you have? Seven and a few small fish. Verse 35 of Matthew 15, he told the crowd to sit down. Then he took the seven loaves and fishes, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the, to the disciples. He asked them how many loaves and how, how much they had, and they said seven loaves and a few fishes, not to make them discouraged, because they had already done that to themselves. They had looked at their resources and said, hey, we can't do anything with this. But it's always good always good that when we are entering into a situation where God has asked us to bless, that we make an accurate assessment of what we have available. Not to, again, not to get discouraged, but to see and realize what God's going to do and be amazed by the miraculous nature of his provision. Right? I want to see where I started and where I'm going to end up because I'm going to be amazed by what God is going to do. And that's what he's trying to do. He knew how much they had. He didn't have to ask. But he wanted them to make an assessment, an inventory of what they had available. And he wanted them to realize that as they looked at the loaves and looked at the fishes and looked at the crowd, there was no way they could do it. He wanted to bring them to that understanding, not to be discouraged, but to be aware of how much they needed him. And so as we begin to be sensitive, ask for sensitivity and awareness to the situations around us so that we can be generous, we have to be ready to take an inventory. Totally different way of viewing the situation. And then after evaluating the resources, he begins to give thanks. He begins to take what's available and he gives thanks, which I believe is the proper step of sequences. We become aware, we do an inventory, and then we pray, not for what we don't have, but for what God is about to do. Because 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence we have before him, 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So Jesus does a remarkable thing. He is giving thanks before he sees the results. Because he has that confidence that scripture just wrote about in 1 John. He is anticipating that God's going to act in a remarkable way. And it happens. And we have to pray when we're, when we're in the middle of God's will and we're being generous and we're helping people. We have to pray with that same level of confidence saying, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. Thank you for my limited resources. Now multiply those resources that I can be generous in your name. And we have to pray in anticipation that what we're asking for has already taken place. There's a confidence there, folks. God's provision is going to be there for us when we act in accordance with his desires. It's exciting stuff. The next thing that's really kind of, it's also kind of scary. Jesus directs the disciples to deliver the blessing. The disciples become actual vehicles of the blessing. Look at verse number 36. After he said this, in verse number 36, then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, which we just discussed, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they, in turn, to the people. So God will provide, but we're going to be the conduit for his blessing. They reflect the generosity of God. They reflect his provision. They're the conduit. They're the method by which the blessing gets to the people. And, you know, and so are we. And yet, and here's the interesting part, the disciples were skeptical. Right? They still had that air of skepticism about them. They weren't seeing what God was seeing, what Jesus was enacting. Jesus is giving thanks, and he's beginning to break the bread and hand it to the disciples. And yet, he's using them in spite of their doubt. They doubt. They're flawed. They don't see how it's going to happen. But Jesus is using them in spite of their doubt and in spite of their flaws. You see, we don't have to be perfect in order to be used of God to be a blessing and generosity to others. And many times in our own minds, beside looking at the resources, and the limited uh, availability of the resources, we look at God and say, God, how can you possibly use me? I mean, there's no way this is going to happen. I'm full of doubt. I'm full of of anxiety of how this is going to happen. And God will use you anyway. Because, folks, it's not about us. It's not about you. It's about God acting through us. And multiplying not the provisions that we have, but our skills and our abilities in order to meet the needs of others in his name. Two wonderful examples I'll share with you. Uh, You've heard me mention Joe and Gwen Brown. They run the ministry in downtown Los Angeles. And every Thanksgiving, Joe and Gwen feed 5,000 people. 5,000 people. 200 turkeys. And this is the way, you know, I I worked with them for 16 years. And almost every year, right around October, when they're getting ready for Thanksgiving, this is the conversation Joe would have with me. Well, Brother Brett, I don't have any money. And I need 200 turkeys in two weeks. And, you know, I'm like the disciples. I'm going, what are you going to do? You going to take a loan? 
I mean, how much money are we talking, Joe? $10,000. For all and for everything. All the fixings. Everything. Well, Joe, you're going to go to a bank? You're going to talk to another church? You're going to put out a letter of request? Nope. I'm going to trust God. Oh, Joe, come on now. We in the modern society, we don't do that. You've got to have a plan. And he goes, Brother Brett, I'm going to order the turkeys tomorrow, and God will provide the money. Really? And he would order the turkeys every year, and every year it would be paid for. See, Joe was looking at what he had, and not being discouraged, but taking an accurate inventory of what he had, and then he was looking at what God could provide as Joe and Gwen tried to be generous to the community and said, there's no way God's going to let us down. And God never did. And there's another gentleman that's a great example as well, right over at Cypress Church. Many of you know David Austin and the Knights of the Holy Grill, right? And David, almost every time he goes out, he doesn't know how many people are going to be there to help him or how much food he's going to have or how he's going to... But he goes out and he does it. And he does it on the assurance that God's going to respond... And, and David has faith, and he's been doing this for years as he's generous to other people through the Knights of the Holy Grill. So these are, those are two wonderful examples of people that, that are acting and perfect conduits for God's blessing in spite of the circumstances, what the circumstances dictate, what the circumstances make evident. You can't do this. Joe and David and, and, and Gwen, they go... Well, I, I don't see how I can't do this. God's behind it. God, want, God sees the need. God's made me aware of the need. Uh, I may not have the necessary provisions, but God will provide. There's, and, and the remarkable thing about these two or three individuals is that as long as I've known them, there's never been any doubt. They are conduits for God's blessing. And by the way, so are we. And we can be used in spite of our doubts. It's a remarkable thing. The last thing, and I'll wrap up, is that Jesus blesses beyond our comprehension. Right? So we're made aware of the need. We're, we're made aware of the opportunity to be generous. Uh, we overcome our limitations that we see. We take inventory of what we had because it puts in perspective what we need from God. We pray in anticipation that he's going to provide. We are willing to become conduits of his blessing to other people. And now we sit back and we watch how God provides. Let's take a look. Take a look at verse number 37. After he had distributed the food through the the disciples... And they in turn to the people, verse number 37, they all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. God's generosity never fails to fulfill. Despite the doubts, despite the limitations, there was more than enough left. God blessed beyond Comprehension, And it says it's seven baskets of leftovers. You know, I go out to dinner, and I, I'm, I'm trying this new thing now. 
where I, when I go out to dinner, I'll take the, the portion that I've ordered and I'll split it in half and I'll take half of it home, right? And I'll think, well, you know, I'll, I'll make two meals out of it and it goes twice as far for, for the same amount of money. Pretty good deal. But invariably, when I open up the refrigerator the next day to pull it out for lunch, it looks about that big. It shrunk somehow, and I don't know why, but my leftovers never meet my expectations. Not the case with God. The leftovers filled seven baskets. Now, I want you to understand this, that the baskets, as as described there, they're not baskets. These baskets could be big enough, potentially, to hold a man. They were big baskets. This is not an insignificant amount of food, which really is kind of funny because remember how we were talking about in Matthew, or pardon me, Mark chapter 8, verse 21? They forgot all, of, all the bread and they had one loaf on the boat. What a bunch of doofuses. <laughs> how could you leave seven baskets on the shore and take one loaf in the boat? Right? But God's provision never fails to provide. So they had all of this food that was left over. And it brought, in, in my mind at least, it brought forward a wonderful section of Scripture. In Ephesians 3.20 it says this. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. You know, the whole problem with us being generous, we think too small. We think too small. The opportunities are out there. Thousands and thousands and thousands of opportunities face us every year. We think too small. Because we look down at the equivalent of what we have, seven loaves and a few fish, and we look out the window of our car, And we say, nah, there's no way I can meet this. We think too small. I think one of the the greatest illustrations that I can think of, of thinking big, when we talk about generosity, is my final point. God was so generous. And we all know this section of scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he what? He Gave his only begotten son. In my mind, that's the epitome of generosity. When you give something that is so precious, so close to you, and you give it away, despite the fact that it means so much to you, the generosity that God exhibited to us in that instant overwhelms me many times. Because when we're talking about loaves and fishes, when we're talking about a few dollars here or some, uh, some time at a homeless shelter or, or time in, a, in a, a, something like uh, an a agency in Los Alamitos that needs help, we're talking about God's only son here and the generosity that it reflected. Because we do not have access to God's provision to meet all of these needs unless we understand a, a relationship and have a relationship with the son that he so graciously provided. Um, the power that we have as a result of that sacrifice, 
Not just the power over sin, the power over death, but the power that we have to impact the lives of other people through the touch of Christ, to be that conduit, to be that that link between God and the need is astounding when we drop on the power of Jesus Christ. But we can't do that unless you have the relationship. I, I know most everybody in this room, and I know that you, you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, that you've submitted your will to him. You've said, hey, Lord, and not my will, but your will be done. And I submit my life to you. I make Jesus Lord of my life, and I ask for forgiveness uh, for all of the sins that encompass me, that, that bond to me. Uh, I know you've made that decision. If for whatever reason you haven't, or if you know others that, that, that haven't, by all means, talk to them about the wonderful, gracious sacrifice of Christ. If we're talking about what it means to be, uh, to be gracious, to be generous, that's the ultimate illustration. So what I'd ask you today is, has the dust of Jesus, as we draw so close to the rabbi, that we actually have his dust settle upon us? Has the dust of generosity dropped upon your shoulders? And I told you, as I opened up, generosity is not my strong suit. I'm still going, you know, in many instances. But it's key. If we're to impact the world in the name of Christ, one of the first things they have to see is our love and our generosity.